Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio. It's a little bit later in the week than usual. We apologize for that due to work schedules, but we are here to record our daily podcast uh, covering University of Alabama football and athletics. Always excited to be here. Thomas the Wizard Watts in the city of Mobile uh, always does a great job producing our show, getting us ready. And, of course, I'm Drew DeArmond, your co-host, along with our good friend William Redfish Barger. Uh, from 89 to 93, a big, uh, you know, a big part of Alabama football, a national champion, and someone that keeps, uh, you know, his ear to the ground that's very close to the program. And uh, we're going to talk post-Iron Bowl, a disappointing result for the University of Alabama, surely. Uh, you know, they uh, weren't able to uh, get, this, get, get the 11th win and stay in the college football playoff conversation. They will now, for the first time in five years, not be a part of that going to be some interesting dynamics. They won't know their bowl fate until after uh, the game, the championship Saturday. Looking like it's going to be a Citrus Bowl, Outback Bowl uh, destination in the state of Florida for Alabama, but we will see. Probably a, there might be a small chance uh, at the Cotton Bowl, especially if Georgia were to unexpectedly upset LSU. I don't really think that's going to happen with Georgia's banged-up offense and LSU just being on the roll that they are right now headed toward the college football playoff, but uh, we will see. And I want to welcome both uh, my cohorts back to the conversation. Uh, William, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, man. How are you doing tonight? Man, I did, Drew. I appreciate you asking, and uh, good to be here. Yep, and uh, I hope you did as well, Thomas. Uh, again, uh, thanks for hooking us up again tonight. Uh, appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. Eh, I'm doing all right. The uh, the, the food coma's over, but... The, huh. the, the the dessert course, which should have been the Iron Bowl, turned very sour very quickly. Yeah, it certainly did. It was disappointing. Uh, it was really kind of a replay of the LSU game. Uh, you know, Alabama, once again, uh, scored a lot of points and for the most part played really well offensively. There were too many penalties, but they were very productive. Uh, but the, the, the two turnovers led directly to touchdowns for Auburn, the two pick sixes, just like uh, the, the two turnovers were very crucial in the LSU contest and kept Alabama off the scoreboard and led directly to LSU points as well. Uh, I, but, William, that's kind of how I felt about it afterwards. I, I was very proud of how Mac Jones battled. I thought he proved he was, a, you know, really the better quarterback on the field. I know Bo Nix didn't turn it over, but I thought, you know, Mac made a lot more plays. It's just that. Uh, Unfortunately, with the way this Alabama team is built this year due to injury and due to some early departures to the NFL and I think some coaching deficiencies, this Alabama team has to be nearly perfect and clean on offense because if they make any mistakes in the kicking game, which they did once again, and they make, uh, you know, and they're not playing really good defense, uh, there's no margin for error. And even with a pedestrian offense like Auburn's, this defense gives up 34 points and uh, just too much to overcome when they didn't play clean on offense. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, you know, I think Thomas and I both have a, a huge plate of crow to eat. Neither one of us predicted a high-scoring shootout, uh, nothing close to that. And, and I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that, um, you know, Alabama would have given up 34 points to that offense. And, uh, you know, especially when they, you know, doubled up what, you know, you know, offenses like LSU and, and Georgia and a lot of the other ones 
um, you know, had done. But, you know, that, that is one thing that, that, you know, we've talked about all year on here is, um, you know, the, the strength of that Auburn defense is on the defensive line. And, you know, they've got solid linebackers, certainly nothing elite. And, uh, you know, the back end of that defense, you know, has been a weak point for them for a couple of years now, even with the, um, the Davis kid that left early for the NFL last year, you could, you could take them passing the football, but, and, and, you know, obviously Mac Jones and Jalen Waddle didn't have any trouble doing that Saturday, but man, I, 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 that's, is that's probably the most disappointing defensive performance for a lot of different reasons that I've seen, um, you know, since maybe the 2015, oh, was it 15 when Ole Miss had the helmet, the ball bounce off the helmet game at Bryant Denny? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's, and, and, and one of certainly, you know, top five defensive bad performances under Nick Saban since 2007. I mean, they just didn't look prepared to play. I mean, you know, it was, it was almost like it was a shock to them that Nick's was, you know, doing quarterback keepers. Um, you know, I, it, it just one thing after another. Um, you, you know, I thought there's a, there's a picture out there that's floating around, and, you know, I hate to pick on him because he's been a really good player for, for Alabama for several years now, but you know, the, the play on the goal line when uh, Xavier McKinney gets run over by the smallest player on the field, probably one of the smallest players that they've seen all year long, and gets his helmet knocked off and, you know, never even wrapped the guy up, I thought kind of was, was a good summation of that whole game. And, uh, you know, just a lack of effort. You know, you got humiliated by a lesser player. And, uh, you know, that, that happens – um, you know, quite a bit Saturday for the Alabama defense. I mean, I, you know, I still think there were some some good things that happened. I mean, you know, Najee Harris made yeah. himself some more money. Um, you know, I thought Mac Jones, you know, exercised the, the one demon that's kind of been on his resume since he got to Alabama, and that's how he would respond after, you know, making a bad play, in this case two bad plays. But I was really, you know, pleased with the way he responded. Um, you know, after the second pick six, um, you know, you can build on that and, and you know, go into the offseason, um, you know, with a, with a positive there with, with the way he, you know, kept battling and making plays. And, you know, I thought he had a, you know, a really gutty performance in the second half. And, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it was, a, you know, they, they gave Alabama the, the kicking game, gave, gave Auburn, you know, too good a field position. I guess that is the one caveat you can give the defense is there were several series where they, um, you know, were, were tasked with bad field position to try and defend. But, um, I, you know, I, it's, it was, it was just, you know, you, and again, at the same time, um, I would much rather lose by three points at Auburn than probably what would have the fate that would have awaited them in the, the woodshedding that they would have gotten by Ohio state or Clemson. Um, I just don't think this defense is, you know, equipped to stop a, a high-powered offense. It's got a good quarterback and a good, you know, a good set of wide receivers. I just think, you know, the pass rush isn't there. The secondary's confused. Um, you know, they struggle to get off the field on third downs. Um, yeah, I think this was kind of a, you know, 
as it, it, hard as it is for some people to stomach, this was almost a mercy killing, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they, they can, the staff can concentrate on recruiting, you know, up until the dead period starts in a couple of weeks, hopefully get some, some get more guys locked up and, uh, you know, start, start trying to fix the things that's wrong with the, the program heading into 2020. And there's quite a few of them. Yeah, there really is. And uh, I guess, uh, uh, I, I'm so disgusted with the defensive staff, not the, not in its entirety. I do think Coach Sal and Charles Kelly are solid. I think the rest of it, I've called them the Keystone Cops. I mean, I just – I don't – I know there's been a lot of injuries and they're playing a lot of freshmen, but I didn't see the improvement that you should have seen one game – game one to game 12. There's too many guys. They're just and – I'll, and I'll say this. I mean, I, I've got a contact in Texas and Oklahoma that's – as good as I get, I have in recruiting, and he watched Alabama play LSU for the first time because he, he doesn't really watch Alabama a lot. And he told me straight up, he said, "Look, guys," and he just said, "Look, man, I'm just going to tell you." He said, "Because I mean, his his expertise is the Big Twelve, and he admits how bad the league is on defense." He said, "You guys are playing defense now like a Big Twelve team." He said, "I've never really seen a a, a Saban team." especially in the secondary, because that's kind of his specialty. He said, they're not, you don't feel them. They're not hitting anymore. He said, he said, and hitting is about, and, and tackling is effort and coaches demanding it out of you. And if you, and holding you accountable, and if you don't, you get somebody else in the lineup. And so, and basically, uh, you know, I told him, I said, look, I, I'm not confident in the defensive coordinator, Pete Golding. I'm not confident in Carl Scott. I said our D-line coach isn't doing the job in recruiting uh, that he needs to be doing. And so I just I, – I think those are the three weakest links on the team. And I think it's telling. We haven't really heard that that uh, that, that Brian Baker's going out on the road recruiting. Car, you know, Pete Golding has a little bit, but I his name's also coming up with UT San Antonio. Uh, Carl Scott, I just – I think those three guys are on the clock big time and, and I think if Alabama is going to get back to playing football under Nick Saban the way they are the standard that's been set that they're going to have to make some changes on that defensive staff there might be an offensive coach or two that's you know on the clock but I think mainly it's defense this offense was really good I thought except for the first down and two that uh that uh, that, that Steve Sarkeesian called a really nice game you know maybe on that last uh series in the red zone they could have done a thing or two differently but look I mean I just really think that that uh, when you score 45 points in 38 with a one kickoff return from uh, the freak Jalen Waddle, you should be winning the game. And I just think it's uh, you know Alabama made too many mistakes. They've got to get they've got to become a disciplined team again under Nick Saban, and they've got to get their edge back on defense. I think they've completely lost it, uh, and it's really kind of disheartening. That was the thing that was disheartening to me about the game, William. I I tr- quite frankly. Even before he missed the field goal, even if if Bullivis had made it, I didn't have any confidence that Alabama would stop Auburn. And even if they had scored a touchdown to go up 52 uh, to uh, 48, I didn't have any confidence. Because I just think it was just like the the feeling I had against LSU that Auburn was going to go down and score no matter what. And I just think Nick Saban, I think, knows this, but – he gambled on Pete Golding to, to maybe be the next uh, Will Muschamp, Kirby, Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think the guy's the answer. I don't think he's a big-time coach. I heard too many things in the preseason. And now 
with his – he's so closely connected to Carl Scott. I, you'd have to go back and do revisionist stuff, but you look at Texas Tech under Cliff Kingsbury. He had Patrick Mahomes, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL. They averaged 38, 40 points a game and couldn't have – you know, couldn't win more than seven games because Carl Scott's defenses were a disaster. So I just think he kept both those guys, and they're the common denominator. They were here for the last two years. Alabama's defense has slipped exponentially. I know there was a lot said about Tosh last year, but come on. Tosh, at least, you knew he brought in talent. You knew he coached his position well, in my opinion. But I have severe questions about Pete Golding being able to coach inside linebackers and recruit. I think Carl Scott's a good recruiter, but I think he's a very poor coach from people that I trust and I've talked to. And I just think, uh, Nick Saban, there's going to have to be some soul-searching after recruiting. I completely agree with you, William. They need to finish strong in recruiting. But Alabama right now has got a lot of issues on defense that they've got to fix. I think they're going to have some good talent in the program on all three levels after this recruiting class is signed, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, uh, in December. But I have severe questions about the development of said players going forward. Yeah, and I, you know, I I was pretty vocal, um, you know, when when Saban made the decision to promote Pete Golding. I mean, he did a, he didn't do a good job last year coaching the linebackers with some right. pretty good players uh, to work with that weren't true freshmen, and uh, yeah, I thought that was a big drop off from you know if you look at the guys, you know that that you know the two main guys. Um, you know, that, that rose up through the, the Saban era as, as coordinators. Um, you know, Kirby did a good job as a position coach at multiple positions. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say I think he was an elite defensive coordinator, especially once the hurry-up, no-huddle spread thing started to rear its ugly head. But, you know, Jeremy Pruitt kind of followed in the same, you know, career path. I mean, did a good job. Um, you know, as a position coach, and then when he got his chance to go be a coordinator elsewhere, you know, had had the number one defense in the country at Florida State, and they won a national championship. You know, totally um, uh, revamped the Georgia defense in a short period of time in his two years there, and and uh, you know, we saw what he did when he came back. Um, you know, as the DC at Alabama, but you know, I, I just you know. Being a, a successful defensive coordinator for the San Antonio Roadrunners and being able to pull it off in the SECs, you know, night and day, and I um, mean, you know, it just seemed like when you when you look at Golding's resume, is what he didn't do as a recruiter since he's been here, you know, what his position uh, position group did, um, you know, it's it's just not been a very successful tenure, and uh, I, I think that you know. I certainly expect a change to be made there. I can, I think the writing is already on the wall. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Carl Scott, um, you know, has some really good players back there to work with. I mean, you're not going to find three prettier players than, than Diggs, uh, McKinney, and, and Sertan. Uh, those three guys are going to play on Sundays, you know, for as long as their bodies will hold up. But, um you know that that thing's gone backwards. You know I don't I don't see any elevation by the defensive line. Um, you, know, you never really saw Raquan Davis 
you know, get back to what he was as a freshman, or I guess he was a redshirt freshman when he started playing. But, um, you know, none of the freshmen really were any better than what they were, you know, when they started in September. Um, you know, I guess that's not fair to say about DJ Dell because he's been hurt on and off all year long. Um, but, you know, um, Byron Young, you know, Abobe, I mean, they, they you just never really saw, you know, any big jumps forward. And uh, you can say the same thing about the two inside linebackers. I mean, are, are they really um, any more technically sound um, than they were in September. You know, I think one of them's limited by athleticism, but certainly doesn't have a problem playing between the tackles. You know, I think Christian Harris is actually going to be a really good player um, down the road. He does have the athleticism, but, you know, you saw, you know, against Auburn, you were seeing the same thing that you saw versus Duke, you know, wrong gaps being attacked, yep. um, missed, missed assignments, nobody accounting for Patrick Nix. I mean, Patrick Nix, I've been calling that kid that. Since he was in high school, Bo Bo, Bo Nix, uh, and maybe it's all the freaking uh, uh, you know love fest that they revisit. I, I think I've seen that nightmarish hail mary play that Patrick Nix actually threw every time Auburn's been on TV this year. But um, you know, no no nobody accounting for Bo Nix keeping the ball on on RPOs. Um, it's just you know, I mean, I hate to use this word, but you know, we we've banged on him and banged on him and been talking about this since the Duke game. But, I mean, by the Auburn game, I mean, that defense was just a complete shit show. And, um, you know, no pass rush. Um, you know, I, I'll, I've never been in love with South Sanceri as much as some people have. Um, I see some of the same issues that I saw the last time around. I see guys not holding the edge. I don't see a lot of pass rush ability. Um, you know, maybe some of that's out of his control. I mean, maybe some of them have shut it down to try and protect their draft status. I don't know the answer to that, but, um, you know, I, I certainly think I wouldn't go anywhere beyond, you know, a solid grade for him. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much technical control that Charles Kelly actually has back there in the secondary with, you know, Scott and Saban both being back there as well. But, um, you know, and at this stage in the game, I mean, uh, you know, I think somebody else that there's time to, uh, you know, draw a circle around when you look at some of the, uh, you know, inadequacies in the, the special teams um, is Jeff Banks. Um, you know, that's been a consistent problem all year long. Um, I mean, I realize that he can't control, um, you know, the short kickoffs that took place versus Auburn, but um, – you know, he's been responsible for the lack of development with Joseph Bolivis. And, uh, you know, I'm, he had a, he played a hand in, you know, allowing the Riker kid to trot back out there versus the Sisters of the Poor with a, you know, a, a strained or a pulled hip flexor to try and punt the football. And he was lost for the rest of the season because of it. So, um, you know, it's just been one of those years. That's why I'm not upset. I never thought this was a playoff team. Um, post LSU, and that's why I'm not really that upset about it today. I think it was a mercy killing down there on the plains, and I'm thankful that it's over with. Well, and I know Thomas has got some thoughts on uh, where Alabama stands now after this disappointing Iron Bowl. Well, I think just to counterpoint, I thought on raw talent, Alabama's a playoff team, but unfortunately, that talent 
really either in several cases players appeared to mail it in or the scheme didn't work for them or lack of discipline. And I think at this point, you know, I've been one of the folks that's kind of stumped for Alabama's defense being really, really good. Because, and the central point of the argument was when it mattered, the Alabama defense got the three or four stops that it needed. But in the two biggest games of the year, Alabama's defense was, you know, completely insanely bad, like ludicrously bad. And there are a variety of reasons for it, injuries, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll maintain until the end of time for the Alabama, if Colt McCoy were healthy crowd, Dylan Moses in the dime package makes LSU Alabama look very different because, you know, I'm going to use a Drew DeArmond phrase here, Markel Benton can't play dead in a B-Western. But um, overall, you know, when Pete Golding was hired, there was some hype around him because apparently Bo Davis had given him a recommendation. So I understand why he did what, what Nick, why Nick did what he did. But, you know, the reality is whether it's some of the rumored off the field problems that Pete Golding's going through, and you can go to the Twitter, the Twitter machine for those. I'm not going to comment there or an inability to scheme effectively an inability to develop his position, the position he coaches an inability to motivate coaches in a way to get them to perform at a high level. Pete Golding's not working out like that. That's period. You know, you've shot your load and you missed, you know, you, you, you ran up to a urinal and you peed on the wall. So Golding's got to go. And frankly, it's multifaceted. The thing that frustrates me the most about this team, and we saw it a little bit last year and it really manifested itself this year is that frankly, I get the, the, the sense that, particularly on defense, players just don't give a damn that they get to go out and play a game. And the edge is gone, as you said, Drew, and the discipline is just completely destroyed. And the thing about discipline is, discipline in general is a trickle-down thing, and I'm not willing to say that Nick Saban's gone soft. I think that's ridiculous. But particularly it relates to Pete Golding and the defensive miscues that we saw throughout the year – it's really hard to come down on an 18 to 22 year old when everybody in the building is like, what the hell is my boss doing up to Pete Golding? So, I mean, I really lay this one at the feet of Pete and uh, thank you for your service. Here's your severance check. Give me your address in where the hell ever it is you're going to live. And I will U-Haul your stuff because you are pretty much a functionally worthless individual as a, as a, as a coach at the University of Alabama. And that really brings up the next question, and Drew and William, I'd want your thoughts on this. One of the things that we've seen in terms of the current rush of Clemson and LSU is extraordinarily well-paid defensive coordinators to the point that they're paid like group of five head coaches. Those guys stay in a Dave Aranda or a Brent Venables. And Venables has some, some baggage, not least of which being he's almost certifiably insane. But... Anyway, they're staying at their schools because they're well-paid and they have much more control over their part of the team. Do you see Nick Saban making a hire of an established defensive coordinator and just brinks trucking this to try and get two, three, four, five years out of a guy? Like, Where, where do you think the Alabama up-and-coming coaching search is going to look, Drew? Well, I, I would think he would go after someone experienced that he trusted. 
I mean, because it, it, if you're going after a young coach, it's kind of a crapshoot. And he got burned by Tadis Lupoy and then Pete Golding. So I would think he would go with someone with experience. I know Kevin Steele's name has come up. He's done a great job at Auburn. I know he's making a lot of money there. Uh, but I've heard that, you know, maybe there's been some back-channel communication. And he's a little frustrated because he thought he was going to get a chance to be a head coach, maybe even at Auburn. But now Gus Malzahn, at least for <laughs> the foreseeable future, seems to be on solid ground, at least until, until Auburn starts struggling next year. So you wonder if Kevin Steele would come back. Some people thought he and Coach Saban didn't have a good relationship, but we saw Jeremy Pruitt come back. We've seen Sal Sanceri come back. Steele's been there twice. There's a trust factor there. And, of course, like you said, Thomas, the money talks. And so uh, if they paid him really well, I think he would come back, no question about it. He's certainly a much better inside linebackers coach uh, than Pete Golding has proven to be. Uh, I'm, I'm so down on this defensive staff. I know you just brought up Dylan Moses being healthy. I think if Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan had been healthy, this Alabama team and Tua was there the entire season, would be undefeated, Thomas. I don't think there's any question about that. But I'll say this. It goes back to a point William just made. Last year, this team was finally exposed by Clemson on the biggest stage because they had too many holes. And I think this football team would have been exposed to defensively against either Ohio State or Clemson, who I think are probably the two best teams. LSU has an elite offense, but they've got some issues on defense. But I'll say this. If LSU had been fortunate enough to get into the college football playoff and they would have lost to Alabama, and they would have had a strong argument if that was their only loss in a close game. And I think the game would have been close if Alabama had won. Then I think even in a rematch with LSU, Alabama might have had issues. Because it all comes down to me to coaching. And I just don't think that, like, and William made a great point in his previous commentary, that even with better players last year as well, not just freshmen this year, Pete Golding and his inside backers struggled. And our defense had communication issues. Mac Wilson's doing a hell of a job in the NFL. I was critical of that young man. I still think he's too, you know, fixated on social media. But he obviously went backwards as a player. He was MVP nearly of the playoff as a, as a sophomore. And then he, he basically shits the bed for the majority of his junior season because he's being coached by the Keystone Cops, okay? And so I just think coaching has a huge part to do with this. I think Alabama's fixing to have the material to work with. Now Nick Saban needs to go out and get an, an experienced defensive coordinator. I still think there's a good chance Bo Davis comes back to be the D-line coach uh, from the Detroit Lions because of the trust factor there and the production that he got out of the defensive line he was there before. I think he and Sal Sanceri would work very well together. And then it's all about, is he going to bring in another secondary guy or is he going to go 6-4, give the secondary to Charles Kelly and himself, and then bring in another offensive coach? Or like William said, maybe somebody with a special teams background. But I think Coach Saban's got some interesting decisions to make, William. But I just think right now, uh, this is by far in his tenure as a coach, in his 13th year at Alabama, the weakest defensive staff he's ever had. Well, and, and I'll I'll take it one step further. Um, you know, I I started noticing this, uh, I guess, two years ago. Um, well, actually, even before then, I guess probably the first time the thought crossed my mind was because of a combination of different things, but mainly 
the feedback that I got from at the time some current players about how they were ground to to down to the pulp during bowl prep. Um, and, and I think the first time that it really reared its head was versus Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I, I've if you really want to think about this, and because I think the, the issue goes even higher up than, than Pete Golding. Um, and, yes, I'm fixing to raise some questions about the greatest of all time head coach. But if you look at the Auburn game this year, the LSU game this year, um, and let's just only go back as far as the last two matchups versus Georgia. Um, in big games versus teams, because what, what I've noticed and, and, and the bully factor keeps shrinking more and more. Um, <clears throat> Clemson game last year was, was another one. Um, but, but in games where they match up against other teams that aren't scared, that can't be bullied, um, that don't mentally get defeated before they step out onto the field, um, I think the Alabama teams have come out and played tight. I think they've played scared to make mistakes. And they look like they've been out-prepared and out-coached um, in these matchups. Um, you know, debate me or argue with me if you want to, but the, the facts are all right there in black and white. You know, look, look at how, you know, both times against Georgia, they had to rally and come from behind. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it goes right into um, – this isn't the first time that Gus Malzahn's out-coached Nick Saban on game day. It goes all the way back to 2010. Um, you know, let's not forget about the – you know, the last-second last drive that almost derailed the only uh, – um, if it hadn't have been for the last-second drive in 09, it would have derailed a perfect season and possibly a national championship. So, um, I just see some things within the process. And, and you know, I've, I've talked about some of my questions about the strength and conditioning in the past as well. Um, I, I think he's at a huge crossroads in his career. Um, and, and there's some things that I think that he's done that don't work anymore, or at least they haven't worked in, in the last couple of years. And when I say that, I'll take all the 10, 10 wins with two lost seasons that he wants to dish me up on a silver platter. That's not what I'm complaining about. What I'm saying is I think that this program – has stood still from a on-the-field schematic coaching standpoint for the last couple of years, and there's been quite a number of other programs that have that have caught pace. And um, you know, I think that's something that needs to. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that there doesn't need to be overhaul on the coaching staff, but I'm I'm starting to see quite a bit of you know physical and visual evidence. That, yeah, because let's be honest, you know, what he has built is damn near impossible to manage. It's impossible for them to have had the success that they've had over the period of time that they've had it and the entitled mentality not become a problem. You know, these, these kids that get out on the field as true freshmen or even second-year true sophomores and redshirt freshmen, they, they don't understand – the price that was paid for them to 
come to a place where the standard has been set. And, and a lot of these guys, again, this is impossible for Nick Saban to manage. A lot of those guys that set that standard cycle in and out of this program in three years. They, they're, mm-hmm. you know, it used to take them so long to get on the field. Uh, by the time that they did, they're, you know, two and done or one and done type players. Um, so, you know, it's a, a lot of this stuff that I'm even bringing up, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you manage it, but I'm starting to see a lot of evidence that uh, I'm not saying that the damn machine's broken, but there's certainly some gears in it that need to be re-greased and fixed. I want to ask you something, William. Uh, starting in 2014, uh, Coach Saban brought in Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin's certainly making a lot of headlines. Looks like he may end up in, in Oxford, Mississippi, if you believe the buzz coming out today. And uh, it does look like the Arkansas thing has uh, calmed down. But he brought in Lane Kiffin to change his offense because I think he felt like they had gone stale with the with the, uh, the the game manager QBs and the uh, and also in more of the pro style, the, the, the wide ball approach, keeping everything in tight. And he's changed out. And Alabama is now much more dynamic offensively. I, I, in my opinion, it kind of feels to me like there needs to be some changes defensively now that the same thing needs to happen on that side of the ball. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't necessarily think that, you know, I mean, I, I don't – and I understood, and I still do, what he was asked to do and what not asked to do. But I don't think you can consider A.J. McCarron a game manager quarterback. Yeah, no, I'm not, and that, that wasn't a shot at A.J., I'm sorry. No, no, I know, I know it wasn't. I know, and I just wanted to clarify what you were saying because I don't think that's what you mean. That's how it sounded, right. but I don't think that's what you mean. He just didn't have the skill players around him at wide receiver. Not nearly, um, that, yeah. That, that, that's been there for the last couple of years. I mean, he had, you know – a uh, Kevin Norwood, who I don't know where he would fall in this rotation, but, you know, I know for a fact he'd get labeled a possession receiver. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was one of AJ's go-to guys. Yeah, you know, he had one year, two. you know, he, he had, yeah. he, I think he had one year as the second team guy with Julio Jones and, you know, maybe one good year with Amari Cooper and, you know, before he was gone. So, I mean, he could make all the throws. I mean, he was a great, great quarterback. But he he was in that system that you speak of, um, which does make the defense's job easier. Um, the, there's not the quick strike scoring. There's a lot more, you know, long, methodical drives. Um, I, I don't know what the answer to that is without seeing maybe the 2017 or, or the 2015 defense paired with what this offense has been with all the components and the playmakers over the last couple of years. I mean, I, I would love to see that product put on the field. Um, but, you know, because of the recruiting misses on the defensive line um, over the last three cycles, because of the recruiting misses at the inside linebacker spot, um, you know, if, unless some of these kids come ready, uh, you know, to play, um, as true freshmen, you're probably fixing to see a lot of recruiting misses at the outside linebacker positions as well um, that, that's going to rear its head. So, um, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, when you start peeling this onion back, I mean, it's a, it's a huge dynamic. And like I said, it sounds like I'm being hypercritical of Nick Saban. I'm not. I mean, you got to tip your hat off to 
what he built and how long he was able to maintain what he built. But, you know, it's, it, it's the tipping point has kind of gone the other way. And I, I don't know, you know, what the, the, the correct response is going to be. Um, Cause he's made some really, you know, in my opinion, like you said, um, he's made some huge philosophical changes in the past, you know, going from, um, you know, Lane Kiffin, maybe he kind of resorted back to what he was comfortable with by bringing in Dayball um, and, and, and trying to get him to, you know, be something that he was. I mean, he's a pro-style guy with, with, with certainly loads and loads of experience with a uh, methodical, even though he's Tom Brady, let's be honest. I mean, they, they aren't a, um, a certainly not a hurry-up, no-huddle type offense, and he's not a dual-threat quarterback. But, you know, it's it's a – interesting thing that I think as the off season kind of, you know, gets in full swing and plays out that we can dig into a little bit deeper. You know, a lot of people think, you know, you know, what's this guy being critical of Scott Cochran about? Well, look at all the damn injuries um, over the last three or four years. Um, they either fall on the training department or the strength and conditioning department. Those are the two people that are responsible for keeping these players upright and on the field. So, um, say what you want but that's that's my thoughts on it and I, I'm not you know I, I realize the guy's a celebrity now and, and does commercials and all that other stuff but I'm just telling you there is something fundamentally wrong inside that weight room well what Thomas what are your thoughts on uh, Nick Saban going forward on defense well going forward on defense I think that in a similar sense, the offensive philosophy changed. I think the defensive philosophy, we saw it start happening with different, different types of bodies, different size bodies, different all of that. I think Nick Saban needs to take a long, hard look at simplifying the defense. Because one like of the, Jeremy Pruitt did. Yeah, I that, wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, yes. that, that, that's, you actually just took my point. Thank you. Sorry. But, oh, hey, it's yeah. no, it, no, great minds think alike. But, Gino – you look at the Jeremy Pruitt-coordinated Alabama defenses. Yes, they had uber talent, particularly along the front seven. But, you know, besides the Deshaun Watson game, and, I mean, Deshaun Watson just destroyed the New England Patriots defense. So, you know, that, that's what the Alabama defense was competing against. Outside of, those, outside of those games, the Alabama defense was the definition of elite. And Pruitt simplified the defense where he could – and allowed the players to play fast. And there's no better example of this, in my mind, than Christian Harris. Christian Harris, as a true freshman linebacker, might be the most athletic linebacker, inside backer, excuse me, that Alabama's ever had. Like, he's C.J. Mosley, Reuben Foster-level athletic. Now, they, those two guys do things differently, but that's a guy that you want to play fast because an athletic player playing that guy with that athleticism playing fast is a wrecking ball from a will linebacker position. And there were times where it was very obvious he was lost or he was confused. There's no greater example. We talked about this after the LSU game. It's inexcusable to me that LSU ran a basic zone flood concept and at least two people blew the coverage and LSU had an easy touchdown. I mean, a zone flood is something that you run on Madden just for laughs. So I think you, I think you need to see – I think Nick and crew needs to seriously take a look back 
at just paring down a little bit. You know, you don't need to have a defensive playbook that's the size of the phone book. You just need to have enough multiplicity in your looks and your calls where guys can change things up but are not going to have to play in essentially a bog. And and more than and with that, let them play with confidence. I think Williams' point, he kind of articulated mine in a better way. For some reason, Alabama gets into a big game and goes tight. They get really tight. They get too wound up. And they just, it takes at least a quarter, sometimes a half, for the team to wake up. Well, one of the ways to unwind that is to let guys play fast. You know, what do we always say when it comes to, what, what did we say with Mac Jones going into the Auburn game? You know, let him throw the ball around the yard a little bit and let him get some confidence and get into the flow of things. And to Steve Sarkeesian's eternal credit, he I feel like he did that for the Iron Bowl. Yeah, you got those two pick sixes, and that's just awful and you can't have that. But I thought Mac Jones played very well. I mean, the fun part is, statistically, he outperformed Joe Burrow. You know, the, the Heisman God King down on the bayou in terms of raw statistics. So he's obviously doing something, you know, Sarkeesian's obviously doing something right, getting guys kind of in the shoot and playing, you know, playing fast, playing confident. I want to see a similar thing on defense. And I don't know, I don't think it's going to be something as simple as going from 3-4 to 4-3 because you have different personnel requirements when you do stuff like that. But, you know, you know going some way like, going some way where instead of, having to have 15 different keys, you have two or three, is necessary. I'm sorry, the way the college game is played, with the three-yard downfield blocking rule, which I cannot stand, give me the NFL three-yard downfield blocking rule, and how wide the hash marks are, give me NFL hash marks as well, there's so much space, particularly if you're playing you know, wide side, short side of the field, that it's really hard to cover all of that and even one false step, which is the bread and butter of the RPO game, even one false step is disastrous. So let you have to figure out a way, instead of playing disciplined, play fast. And that might mean that you give up a 50-yard touchdown on occasion. But for all the 50-yard touchdowns that you're going to give up, assuming your corners are any good and your safeties know what their responsibilities are, you're going to have disruption and not as much missed tackles, broken tackles, falling forward because you kind of have this oh crap moment and you have to go try and make a play when you're out of position. So I would look at simplifying and accepting an occasional explosive play for the team playing fast. And I know that's kind of, it's hard to, to, to really put your finger on what that means, but really play fast, get your edge back would be, you know, what are the requirements to get that would be how I want to look at the defensive changes, Drew. Well, I can tell you this, too. One of the other most important things Nick Saban is going to have to do is because I knew everybody knew this junior class is very talented and that there could be a record number of departures. He needs to be re-recruiting some of these juniors because Alabama, for the first time in his tenure, could have to uh, rebuild. But if he can get some of these guys back, they can reload. Now, I still lean to Tua, you know, going pro and leaving for the NFL. But I do think there's a very real possibility he's considering coming back, which when he first got injured, I thought it would be a very small percentage. But after who people I've talked to and then hearing what he said the last two days, 
I really think it's a decision that he's trying to make. And if they were fortunate enough by the grace of the good Lord to get the kid back, I think it could set off a domino effect. I certainly think Jerry Judy's gone. He's a top 10 pick. I don't blame him. If two is, I don't blame him. But I have doubts about that because of his injury. And it's hard to deal with because he's not going to be ready to play football until July or August. He's not going to be able to do a whole lot. But, I mean, I, I just think, and I think certainly uh, that Terrell Lewis is gone. He's already he was at senior day. He's had so many injuries. He kind of mailed it in now. He didn't finish strong. But, again, I don't blame him. He's going to try to go make some money, play in the NFL. I think he can have a successful career. That it, It's just the guys that are kind of on the fence because – there's there's guys like Xavier McKinney. I think he's probably going to leave, but I think he's on he's in, he's in between right now with his draft grade. Same same way, uh, you know, with Devontae Smith. I think Devontae Smith's got a decision. You know, Tua could swing him one way or the other, and the two offensive tackles. I think they're two very good players, but I don't think they're locks to be first round picks. So it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, when Greg McElroy said on his show this week on XM Satellite Radio that someone from inside the building texted him and said, you'd be surprised how many juniors are thinking about coming back. That kind of got my attention. And so if Nick, Nick Saban, a lot, a lot of what he's going to have to do is try to re-recruit this group because if he can get a few of those juniors to come back, it might be a reload situation and not a rebuild. And to me, William, that's going to be a big part of this. Let me jump I, in. I don't grudge quick. anybody. Anybody? Okay, you want to? Yeah, just just real quick, William. I, yeah. I'm sorry. One of the things that fans need to realize about the NFL draft process is, with Alabama not playing in a championship game and not right. being in a you know the college football playoff, you know they're going to get the NFL draft advisory board stuff. That is happening soon. It hasn't happened yet because generally the right. draft board wants to take wants to have an idea about you and either get that last pop of film from a bowl game or if you get injured, they'll change your grade and they want to give you the most up-to-date information ever. The point of the draft advisory board is to inform players, and remember, it's only three grades, first round, second round, or day three, and that's runs three to seven. That's the only things that they do. The stuff that's going on right now in between you know, Nick Saban and staff out on recruiting is you know, teams are calling Nick Saban's office. They're calling Nick Saban. Nick Saban's calling teams if players try, try and get some feedback, calling general managers to see what the GMs think. Because one of the things that we've seen, if you look at any NFL mock draft, you have anywhere from four to eight Alabama players in the first round. But here's the problem. Those players are about to get, at least until January the 20th, they're going to get a six-week colonoscopy from, t- from, from the NFL. And I'm not talking about NFL scouts that are employed by CBS or Fox or NFL.com or anyone else. I'm talking about the guys that their livelihood is based off this. That's a completely different ballgame. So, you know, we're hearing, oh, these guys might have a first-round grade. Well, I don't know if the draft advisory boards come out yet. It's, that might change a little bit. And we don't know what the GMs and whatnot are saying because those draft boards are in a crazy fluidic state. And, and just to briefly talk about Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith, they're in a weird spot because in a normal year, I think they're first-round draft picks. But the problem is they're an absolute ton of wide receivers this year. So, 
you know, in, yeah. in normal years where, you know, rugs would rugs or Smith or both would be like three and four, they could be six or seven. And it would be an insane wide receiver run to get down to six or seven in the first round. So that that's going to be a true. weird situation in and of itself. But uh, I'm going to kick it back to you, Drew. I know you were going to ask William something. I appreciate y'all letting me jump in. Well, no, it's great stuff. Uh, I just wanted – I wanted to – I was just going to get William's opinion on that because if he can re-recruit some of these juniors who I think are, are borderline, and what I mean by that, they could go in the second round, not the first, and come back and, and improve themselves and improve their stock, then I think Alabama could be, you know, going into next season on much more solid ground. That's difficult, but I still think it's doable. William, your thoughts, I mean, I know – because I will say this, one of the things I detest more than anything, I know Williams the same way in many ways, is mock drafts because they're so inaccurate. I mean, a lot of them, there are one or two that are good, I, but I, most of them, I, I, I love these Alabama guys, but I don't think Alabama's got eight first round picks. I think they'll probably have about four. And those guys, if they leave, man, I salute them, including Tua Tungabailoa. But I just think uh, that they need to, really think hard before they make this jump, William. Well, I'm only going to speak about two of the potential juniors. And, and one of them is going to strictly be from a long-term career, um, both from a financial standpoint and, and what could possibly be the best career path to follow. And the other one I'm going to speak from, A, I've got intimate knowledge on what some uh, agents and, and NFL people think about him. And also, too, he's done everything that he needs to do at this level. But if I'm in a position of advising Tua on what to do, first of all, he's not going to be the first quarterback taken this year. He's probably not even going to be the second. But – He's also probably not going to slide any further than somewhere in between 15 and 20. And from a financial, there's two things in play here. One is the financial thing. If he goes 15th, if you look at what the 15th player got last year, it was a little over, I think it was like $14.8 million. Um, you can do the tax thing on that. Um, he's he's going to you know probably walk away with nine or eight, something after taxes. Um, if he slides to 20, he's going to get between 10 and 11. You know, he's going to walk away with, you know, six or seven after that. Um, that is still life-changing money for him and his family. And more than likely, he's not going to be the top quarterback taken next year. Um, Trevor Lawrence is going to be that guy. So if I was in a position of being, a, you know, an advisor, an agent, or someone that, that you know, is in his family circle – um, I'll be completely shocked if he doesn't go pro because it makes too much sense. And for this other particular reason, if he does slide to 15th or 20, somewhere between 15 and 20, he's going to go to a much better team and a much better franchise, more stable. Um, you, you know, and he has a chance to go the Russell Wilson route um, where he's not going to have to carry the franchise on his shoulders um, you know, that's still life-changing money. You go put your time in. You show what you can do. I mean, let's be honest. These, these damn quarterbacks. I mean, A.J. McCarron made $3 million this year. Um, you know, that you can still, whether you end up becoming the, the starter or the first-team guy, you know, if you've got the ability to dissect a defense and deliver a football, 
you, you can you can keep doing this, you know, for for ten plus years. Um, now that may be a little bit of a crapshoot for Tua with his with his fragility issues, but I, I think it's a no brainer that he goes. Um, the, the second one being, I can promise you, as the day is long, Jedrick Wills will be a first round draft pick. He can play all five positions. Um, I've spoken to someone that works for the biggest agent in sports management, both from a coaching and a player standpoint. And they, the, the feedback that they get is he is a top 12 pick for probably the same reason that Jonah Williams was. He can play all five positions and play them at a winning level. Now, maybe as a left tackle, he's never going to be an all-pro, but he can get the job done there. Um, I will be even more shocked to not see him go pro based on some of the feedback I've gotten on his college career and, and what the NFL looks at him as. Um, he, he's just another freak show in the same manner that Jonah Williams was. Uh, the other ones are all up for debate. And, you know, I, I remember saying this on the, the show back in the summertime. Um, and I think probably after watching, because probably all season long up until the Auburn game, uh, people thought I was insane, but I'll, I'll remind y'all of something that I said on the show this summer because it came from a real prominent member of the coaching staff. Remember when I told y'all that there was somebody in Tuscaloosa that thought Jalen Waddle was the best wide receiver on the team? Yep, I even said that last year. I even said as a freshman he would be the best receiver on the team by the end of last year. That wasn't quite the case, but that sh- – William, I'm going to be honest with you. You played with one of the best football players that ever walked the planet. And he's got, I've got his jersey on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. That performance that Jalen Waddell – it's sad that he'll probably not be remembered as well because they lost the game. But that was a David Palmer-esque Ole Miss performance that Jalen Waddell put on in that Iron Bowl. Well, I'm happy for him, number one. Uh, number two, I think he – uh, was allowed to have that performance because the guy that a lot of people thinks was the best wide receiver on the team mailed it in, in my opinion. Um, but he, he's not just the best wide receiver on the team. I could make a strong argument for him that he's the best player in college football at the end of November, and he's certainly going to be uh, up for all those type of rewards. And thank God he's not draft eligible is all I can say. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, but – you know, you know, but yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Except we're talking about a guy that ran a four seven five forty versus a guy. Oh, that probably... I, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I, I dig it I, because Jalen Waddle speed wise is is on another level than the Deuce man. That's why the I, I know I know this I know this won't this won't make your heart warm uh, because they're not very good uh, again. But uh, I, I've heard from several people. We've all talked about him turning down a basketball scholarship to Texas A and M. Yeah. Uh, but I know a couple of people that have witnessed him on multiple occasions hang 40-plus on the Alabama basketball team. So, Yeah, he's a definitely a freak athlete. There's no doubt about that. So the, 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 it's going to be very intriguing in the few, next few weeks to see which, one, which of these guys come back. And, of course, we know some of them will set out the bowl game, I'm sure. And that will give you some kind of a, a clue uh, with what's going to happen. But uh, to be honest, It'll give some young guys like the Slade Boldens of the world a chance, uh, perhaps, to get, to get more reps at wide receiver John Mechie. Uh, 
But I do hope that Devontae Smith is very smart in the way he evaluates. Even Ruggs, but I wouldn't blame Ruggs because he's got a pretty good shot to go in the first round because he's going to run an insane 40 time. He's just got speed. But, you know, perhaps maybe perhaps he could go even higher next year if he came back and became a more prominent member of the passing attack because he's caught under 50 passes. He and Jalen Waddle would be a, an unbelievable combination. If it's, and if it's Devontae Smith, too. That would be uh, the best uh, trio in college football, no doubt about it. But it's going to be interesting to see which guys, uh, you know, play in the bowl game. There could be several that sit out. You can't blame them now. That's just the way it is with the co- with the high with the college football playoff format, because uh, the rest of these bowl games are are mainly exhibitions. I think some of them. I've heard Xavier McKinney has told people he will play because some of them can up their stock if they play well in the bowl game because they're not going to be lock high first round picks. So we'll see, you know, how that goes. I'm going to be really interested to see, you know. And then in recruiting, as we're wrapping up BAM's radio, recruiting is going to be interesting because I think Alabama wants to add four or five more guys. That You know, they've been to see a lot of their top targets. They want to add a defensive lineman like a McKinley Jackson. But he looks like he's going to wait and sign. Uh, they want to add another DB. Could it be Ronald Williams from Hutchinson Community College in Kansas? Uh, you know, the cornerback. They, I think there's a good chance they're going to flip Jace McClellan because Najee Harris, we didn't really talk about Najee. He's been a monster. I think he's going to move on. Running backs have the shortest shelf life, so I can't blame Najee Harris. If Alabama flips Jace McClellan, then I think that that's going to be your third back in the class. That means Najee's going to, to move on. And then they need another wide receiver, an Arian Smith or Raheem Jarrett, who's from the same high school as Keelan Robinson and uh, – and Terrell Lewis, and he's committed to LSU right now. So that would be big for Alabama to add some of those pieces. I still think they're in it for Phillip Webb. That's going to be a very difficult uh, recruitment, but they're still in it with him too. Uh, they're battling. And then they got to get a tight end. And I would say they're still battling for Darnell Washington, but I would watch Brandon Frazier uh, from McKinley, Texas. He's got really good film, and I think he's someone that used to be committed to Arkansas that maybe they may bring in. Or they may just see where you know where the dust settles after the early signing period because Frazier may not be signing early. So I want to see where that goes. So recruiting is going to be interesting uh, down the stretch as well. And we'll have some more Alabama basketball talk for you guys. I'm going to be going to cover Alabama against Stephen F. Austin tomorrow. Stephen F. Austin is seven and one. They just beat Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium last, uh, several days ago. So Alabama's coming off of a one and two trip to the. Uh, the battle for Atlantis and the Bahamas, a very deep field where they, you could see five or six NCAA tournament teams. They, they played well in their final game, and they beat Southern Mississippi 83-68. They struggled against Iowa State, and they lost a hard-fought battle of North Carolina. But I still think this Alabama team, if the, for the rest of pre-conference, they're 3-4 and four right now. If they could find a way to win tomorrow and then get to 8-4 and four in the pre-conference, it would involve a road win at Penn State. I don't think that's, uh, you know, an unreachable goal. Then I think Alabama could still be in the mix of the NCAA tournament. But they're banged up. Alex Reese has not practiced much this week or Beetle Bolden. It's just been a team that's physically been, uh, you know, uh, in bad shape. Hopefully they can get healthier. Herbert Jones, too. And we'll see Coach Oates' system continue to take hold. I think John Petty's made a lot of progress. Same way with Kyra Lewis. So we're going to see if they can step up against Stephen F. Austin. So we'll have, in our next show, we'll have a, uh, a rundown of that after I go to, to cover this game tomorrow night. And we'll continue to follow the, re- the recruiting day-to-day of this late period and what we're hearing 
about the roster coming up with these juniors, uh, perhaps moving on to the NFL. William has some very interesting things to say about Jedrick Wills. I do agree with William there. I do think Jedrick, it wouldn't surprise me if he played center or guard in the pros. I think he's a tackle, like a right tackle, but he can easily slide inside and be a dominant football player. And, uh, you know, I know there's been some buzz about Landon Dickerson, but I think he needs to come back, continue to acclimate himself to center. And if, if Jedrick does move on, that opens the door for Evan Neal to go to tackle. I think Leatherwood needs to come back. I don't think he's ready uh, for the NFL yet. I think he needs another year of seasoning at his natural position. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But certainly it's going to be some interesting storylines going forward as for the first time, we're not as an Alabama fan base, we're not used to this. Alabama's not going to be playing for a national championship. So now they're going to play in a basically meaningless bowl game that hasn't been good in the Nick Saban era. The last time it was was 2010, and it set the stage for two straight national titles. Will they handle it like that this time? That's what I'm going to be really interested to watch to see if this Alabama team shows up for this bowl game, either probably in the Citrus Bowl or the Outback Bowl against uh, likely a Big Ten opponent, maybe somebody like Michigan. Uh, that would be very interesting in the Citrus Bowl. But I was, I'm was i going to throw it back uh, to you, Thomas. Anything else uh, to close the show that you uh, got uh, wanted to get off your chest? Well, I think that Alabama fans need to prepare themselves for a prodigious number of players sitting out the bowl game and just understand that that is, uh, that is the norm in college football. And uh, I'll be honest – I have zero expectation of this team to come out and play any sort of inspired football in this bowl game. But maybe they'll prove me wrong. But this this season has been a tough one, Drew. But, you know, we'll keep doing the BAMS radio thing. Like you say, we've got the recruiting side and the basketball side. And obviously with the point about the draft grades, that stuff will start getting out hot and heavy here in the next couple weeks. So, you know, there's plenty. There's still plenty to look forward to if you're an Alabama fan. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. But. I just wanted to thank William Redfish Barger for his thoughts and his uh, commentary tonight. I'm Drew DeArm, and that's Thomas Watts. You've heard really good stuff, I think, from all three of us. Uh, we want to thank everybody for continuing to support the show. And uh, and I know a lot of you have been waiting on this episode, this post-Iron Bowl. Uh, and I thought we had some very insightful things that we want to see going forward with the program and the questions that we have. And we'll continue to discuss it. Uh, you know, now this with the holidays coming up, we may have to take a small sabbatical. But we'll certainly we're we're certainly not going to take any sort of long extended break. It just may be that holiday schedules don't allow us at times uh, to record. But we will continue to give you daily episodes of BAMS Radio, uh, much like we have this week following Thanksgiving. Uh, but I want to thank William. I want to thank Thomas. They do an outstanding job uh, for them and for myself, Judy Armand. We want to thank you for listening to BAMS Radio. Good night, everybody. We'll come to you next week. Roll Tide.